Kamusta? This is your host Alicia, aka your favorite Asian. So today I thought I would do something fun to start off the episode. When I was in the car with my friends Kara and Emily over spring break last month, we started listening to this podcast from NPR called Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. They did a segment to test people's knowledge on current events by sharing three stories. One of the stories was true while the two other ones were fake. So to do a little twist for my own podcast, I'm going to do two true stories and one fake story. Then the person has to guess which one is fake. So I decided to call my sister so she can figure out the lie. Now let's get started. So we are back with my sister Anna and she's going to figure out which story is the fake one. Are you ready Anna? Yes. Okay, so story number one. According to Global Times, Thailand's Mana has performed dozens of resuscitation attempts in his 26 years as a rescue worker, but never before on an elephant. Mana was called into action while off-duty on a road trip late on Sunday, successfully reviving a baby elephant struck by a motorcycle while crossing a road. In a video that went viral on social media in Thailand, Mana is seen giving two-handed compressions to a small elephant lying on its side as colleagues a few meters away treat a dazed and injured motorcycle rider on the floor. Both the rider and elephant were recovering and neither had serious injuries. I assumed where an elephant heart would be located based on human theory in a video clip I saw online, Mana told Reuters by phone. Now let's go to story number two. According to E! News, if you love hearing about big name companies that are making body positivity a priority, this awesome story is sure to put a smile on your face. Schick just added a new ad campaign claiming that women don't have to shave to be beautiful, but they can use Schick razors for self-defense. This week, Schick released a series of advertisements with a simple but powerful message. Though women don't need to get rid of their body hair to feel worthy and attractive, they should continue buying Schick razors to use use in case of emergencies. The empowering campaign includes several must-watch commercials. In one, a woman is shown examining her growing underarm hair in a bathroom mirror with a smile, then looking down at her chic razor with a shake of her head. Just as she goes to throw the razor in the trash, a masked intruder bursts into her bathroom and she whips around and uses the razor to protect herself. As the attacker falls to the ground, the woman turns to the camera and delivers one of the campaign's awesome body-positive slogans. Natural body hair is a good look, but getting murdered isn't. Use your shik to stay safe. Now we will go to the final and third story, Anna. Are you ready to hear it? Yes. Okay, so the third story is, according to HuffPost, some Alaska Costco shoppers said they've had their groceries stolen by ravens in the store parking lot. Matt said he was packing his groceries into his car in the parking lot of Anchorage Costco when ravens swooped in to steal a short rib from his cart, the Anchorage Daily News reported Friday. I literally took 10 steps away and turned around Two ravens came down and instantly grabbed one of the packages, ripped it off, and flew off with it, Matt said. Matt said the piece of meat was about 4 by 7 inches large, a sizable meat for a sizable bird. They know what they're doing. It's not their first time, Matt said. They're very fat, so I think they've got a whole system there. And once he got back home, he noticed that one of the ravens had taken a poke at another rib, but did not rob it. 
So Anna, which one is the fake story? Story one about the Thai elephant given CPR. Story two about the Schick razor protecting you in case of emergencies. Or story three about the Costco meat loving ravens. This is hard. I really don't know. Uh, I thought I was going to know, but I don't. Remember, the special prize is a round of applause. Ugh. Um, is it number three? Ooh, no. It, the fake story was story two about the Schick razor protecting you in case of emergencies. I thought I was going to, I was debating two or three, but I don't, ha I don't have cable. So how do I know about commercials? Well, Anna, maybe you'll be able to use your razor during emergencies. <laughs> Shout out to Billy's Razors. <laughs> well, thank you, Anna, for playing. And although you did not get it right, here you go is a round of applause. I hope you enjoyed that segment that I just did. And if you want me to do more stories like that, I totally will. That was so fun to do. So now let's get into the mysterious case of Rebecca Zahau and how she tragically died. A little bit about Rebecca is that she was born March 15, 1979. She was born in Falam, Chin State, a town in the Chin Hills in Northwest Burma. Her father and mother raised her as Protestant. After living in Nepal and Germany, Rebecca decided to move to the US. Most of her family live in St. Joseph, Missouri, which includes her parents and three sisters. In 2002, she married 36-year-old nursing student Neil Nalapal in Scottsdale, Arizona, but they ended up getting a divorce in February 2011. She also worked as an ophthalmic technician until quitting in December 2010. In 2008, Rebecca began dating Shaknai, the CEO of Medicis Pharmaceutical, while she was still married to Neil. Jonah's position at Medicis made him the ninth highest paid CEO in Arizona, earning $6.4 million in 2010. He also had two previous marriages. His first marriage to Kimberly James resulted in a divorce and a three-year custody fight over the couple's two children. He also had a son, Maxfield Aaron Shaknai, also known as Max, with his second wife, Dina Romano, in 2000. So before Rebecca's death, on July 11, 2011, Rebecca, Max, and Rebecca's little sister, Zena, were at the Spreckles Mansion in Coronado, California. This is where Jonah lived during the summer. At some point during that day, Max fell face first over a second floor banister, suffering injuries to spinal cord and facial bones which affected his heart rate and breathing. Rebecca said she was in the bathroom at the time and then found Max moments later and Zena called 911. Max was not breathing and unresponsive and was taken to Rady Children's Hospital. He died on July 16 due to brain damage caused by oxygen deprivation resulting from his injuries. Then on July 12, 2011, Rebecca dropped off her sister at the airport for her flight back to Missouri and then picked up Jonah's brother, Adam, who had just arrived on a flight from Memphis, Tennessee. Rebecca, Jonah, and Adam ate dinner with a friend named Howard that evening. Rebecca and Adam returned to the Spreckles mansion while Jonah reportedly kept a vigil at Max's bedside with Max's mother, Dina Romano. Jonah then would leave the hospital to go to a nearby Ronald McDonald house. There were also reports of loud music coming from the Spreckles mansion later that night. On the morning of July 13, at roughly 6.45 a.m., Adam stated that he had found Rebecca's nude body hanging from a balcony with her wrists and ankles 
bound and her hands behind her back. Rebecca was gagged with a blue long-sleeved t-shirt wrapped around her head with the sleeves double-knotted and stuffed into her mouth. There was also what appeared to be tape residue on her legs. Adam called 911 at 6.48 a.m., then sent a text message to his brother to inform him of the news. He cut down Rebecca's body before the police arrived. Medics attempted to revive her, but pronounced her dead at the scene at 32 years old. Police initiated forensic and toxicology testing on her body as part of an autopsy to determine the cause of death. But speculations of foul play began early on in the case. However, investigators were unable to find any other DNA at the scene besides Rebecca's. On September 2nd, the San Diego County Sheriff's Department formally announced their finding that Rebecca committed suicide. Sheriff investigators suggested Rebecca herself tied a series of intricate knots on her hands behind her back, put the noose over her head, and propelled herself off the mansion's balcony. Sheriff's investigators even released a video that they say shows how it can be done. Rebecca's autopsy results revealed four instances of head trauma, which investigators and outside commentators expressed various theories. San Diego medical examiner Jonathan Lucas stated that because there was evidence that she went over the balcony in a non-vertical position, she may have struck her head on the balcony on the way down. Werner Spitz, an expert witness who testified during the trial of Casey Anthony, said it was a possibility, stating, when the body first dropped, she doesn't necessarily jump to her death, so she would drop directly downward, and she could easily hit against the side of the structure from which she is hanging. However, he noted that to draw stronger conclusions, he would have preferred to see what the body looked like before the wrist bindings were removed. Forensic consultant Dr. Maurice Godwin expressed doubt, stating, the chances of bumping into the railing, going over the balcony, and hitting your head four times is highly unlikely. Rebecca's DNA was found on the knots of the rope and on one of the knives she used to cut the rope. Black paint was found on her hands and the rope. Her fingerprints were found on the paint tube and the other of the two knives. Her foot and heel prints found in the dust on the balcony. Authorities said she killed herself out of remorse of the fatal accident of Max. A second autopsy on Rebecca was conducted by pathologist Dr. Cyril Wetch at her family's request. Wetch testified that he believed fractures in Rebecca's throat were caused by manual strangulation, not by suicidal hanging. He further stated that he thought Rebecca's death was a homicide. In addition, other inaccuracies were found with the Sheriff's Department investigation, including evidence that indicated that Rebecca was sexually assaulted before her death. Police served Verizon and AT&T with search warrants to obtain cell phone billing records and took Rebecca's Samsung Focus cell phone as evidence. According to AT&T records, from roughly 8 p.m. until 10 p.m., Rebecca talked and texted with her older sister, Mary, who confirmed that Zena had arrived home safely. At 10.48 p.m., Rebecca received a text from Nina Romano, the twin sister of Jonah's ex-wife, who wanted to stop by the house and talk about Max's accident. Rebecca did not reply to that message. Police said Rebecca checked her voicemail a few hours later at 12.50 a.m. and listened to a message. Billing records do not show who left that message. Police stated it was a message regarding the worsening of Max's condition, but declined to confirm at the time who left the message. Mary stated that police told her it was from Jonah. The message was deleted, meaning that police and Rebecca's family never heard the contents of the message. Since Adam, who was staying at the mansion at the time as well, was the last person to see Rebecca alive, in April 2018, Rebecca's family won a wrongful death case 
with a civil jury finding that Adam was responsible for Rebecca's death. Jurors awarded $5 million to Rebecca's family for a loss of companionship and $167,000 for financial support she could have provided to her family. Because this was a civil trial, Adam did not face any criminal charges and cannot be sentenced to prison. Eventually, the lawsuit was settled with a $600,000 payout. On January 25th, 2019, in response to Adam's legal team filing a motion to have the jury's verdict set aside for lack of evidence, Judge Catherine Bacall issued a tentative ruling against Adam that faulted the sheriff's department. The court feels remissed if it does not state that the sheriff's investigation leaves almost as many unanswered questions as it answered, she wrote, in reference to the cryptic scrawl on one of the bedroom doors of the mansion, reading, She saved him, can you save her? which, like mentioned earlier, the black paint on her fingers came from. But Bacall said the evidence showed that Rebecca wrote extensively about herself in the first person. She was a painter who was comfortable painting letters as well as figures. Given these facts alone, common sense says that Rebecca did not paint the amateur painted message on the door. And if she did not, someone else did. They believe whoever wrote the message would give circumstantial evidence that Rebecca did not kill herself. Adam, on the other hand, maintained his innocence and told reporters in February 2019 that Rebecca's family did this partially for the money, but partially so that they did not have to show up in church and have people look at them and think our daughter committed suicide. Rebecca's family initially filed a $10 million lawsuit accusing Jonah of conspiring with his ex-wife and her twin sister to kill Rebecca in retaliation for allowing Max to be injured. But they dropped Dina and her sister Nina from the lawsuit in 2017 after surveillance footage showed they were at the hospital when authorities say Rebecca died. So before researching about if the twin sister who gave the text message was involved, I was like, this is so weird that she wants to meet up late at night and then nothing came of it. So I'm glad that it was cleared up because I was seriously thinking the twin sister must have been part of this death somehow. Like, why didn't they check on the text message? Why didn't she respond? I was just so confused. So Nina was with her sister at the hospital, so she's not involved. But on the ninth anniversary of her death, members of the family of Rebecca met at their attorney's Rancho Bernardo office to discuss a lawsuit being filed against the San Diego County Sheriff Bill Gore. They were able to sue Sheriff Bill Gore under the California Public Records Act. The lawsuit called for the sheriff to give Rebecca's family and attorneys access to all case records regarding the investigation, arguing that while the department had released many records, it has only disclosed those that support the belief that Rebecca's death was a suicide. This was because the San Diego County Sheriff's Department declared twice that Rebecca had committed suicide since she was found hanged at the Spreckles Mansion. So on Friday, March 19, 2021, Judge Timothy Taylor agreed to hear arguments from Rebecca's sister, mother, and brother-in-law that the Sheriff's Department should turn over more details in the case. Hopefully, there will be more updates on what really happened as time goes on, but as the 10th anniversary of her death approaches, what do you think really happened? Do you think she was murdered? If so, who do you think committed this crime? With little evidence, there is definitely something fishy going on with the police department not wanting to release more records. And I hope her family gets justice on this case. And with that, we honor Rebecca Zahal. Follow me on Instagram at your favorite Asian podcast and hit that follow button if you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any cases that you would like me to cover, please email me at yourfavoriteasianpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to show kindness and advocate for equality. Ba'alam, and I'll talk to you again next Sunday. Hello.